Welcome to Next Stop Now, a podcast about experiments and repurposing life. I'm Jason Angel. We all need more stories of positive change that help inspire us, give us some footsteps to follow, and help us make changes in our own lives. This show is about different people who took a risk to change their life to change the world in ways both big and small. For a long time in my own life, I thought that big change could only happen through the political system or some other type of big system. Most personal changes, like recycling, composting, or buying locally, while I knew they were important, they just seemed so small compared to the size of the problems we face. I was thinking a lot about this question, what's the right path to building a better world, personal or political change? That's when I came across the work of Michael Edwards, who founded the online journal Transformation on OpenDemocracy.net, which has millions of readers around the world. Mike's ideas really struck a chord with me. Mike believes to build the more beautiful world we all want, we'll have to fuse personal and social change together. We've got to change our lives on the outside and the inside. When we first chatted by phone, Mike began to tell me a bit more about his life, how his experiment to live a life that reflected his deepest beliefs eventually led him to step down as a director of the Ford Foundation, one of the most well-respected and powerful foundations in the world, and strike out to build a new life right in the scary middle of the 2008 economic recession. So I went up to Swan Lake, New York in the Catskills, where Mike now lives with his wife, a local politician, in a beautiful home they renovated themselves as they repurposed their lives. We're sitting together at an old farm table in their living room, looking out over Swan Lake on an overcast day, and there are actually two swans swimming in the distance. Over a cup of coffee, Mike begins to tell me about how he got his drive to make the world a better place from his parents and how that drive continues to lead him down new roads. My happiest memories are always, you know, collective washing up after some event, you know, where um, everyone just got stuck in and you chatted, you know. It was was a wonderful, you know, a wonderful, joyful Mm -hmm. feeling. And now when you you say, you know, well, is there any joy in your work, Mm -hmm. even your activist work? Mm -hmm. Usually people look at me and say, what are, you, what are you talking about? Joy. You know, there's no joy in any part of life anymore. You know, it's a trudge. But we all want more than that, so we, we should expect more than that. Tragic. Um, it's tragic, yeah. 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 I mean, just think what it does to your mental health and well-being, never mind to your effectiveness and your capacity as, a, as an activist or a farmer or a writer, whatever it happens to be. <clears throat> I'd like to ask you about, I think we're moving towards this conversation about personal transformation. And so can we kind of start and talk about, you know, how you moved from, I don't know what you would call it, higher level analysis of the problems we face mm-hmm. and how, how you moved towards this idea of bringing it as close to home as possible? Sure. Well, I started thinking that ideas were what really mattered in changing the world. So I set off on, a, on an academic path, I did a PhD and my field work was all in the slums and shanty towns of Colombian cities, Bogota and Bucaramanga. Mm-hmm. And through that, I, it was clear to me that sort of conventional academia was a rather sort of extractive 
uh, process, taking information away from people really, mm. with a vague promise that it would help them, but never did. So by the time I'd finished the PhD, I was, I was clear I didn't want to go down that route. And so I said, well, what, you know, what's next? And it seemed to me at that time that concrete action um, in and with communities was the, was the best way. And I suppose, quite conventionally, I saw the institution as the vehicle of change. That if we could get the institution right, if we could get Oxfam right, which is a huge task in and of itself, then the rest would follow sort of automatically. But then towards the end of that slice of my career, I saw the same problems reoccurring. Power plays, self-interest, institutional aggrandizement. Mm -hmm. So I became very uh, unhappy with that. And I suppose the World Bank was the summit of that unhappiness. Um, but I guess, you know, the, the journey was really trying to find a way. It's, it's always been a way of trying to improve institutions as a route to success. Um, whatever the institution is, and finally realizing that that's never going to be enough, and that's what you know encouraged me or forced me to start thinking more at the Ford Foundation about personal change. So at Ford, I started a program, which was um, explicitly funding groups, mostly grassroots groups, who were pursuing sort of integrated personal and political change in their work mm -hmm. in the United States, different parts of the U.S. I'd happened to put meditation and yoga in a project proposal because that's what one of the things the group was doing. It was working on self-care for activists to avoid burnout, which is familiar to everyone who's ever been an activist. Yeah. And apparently it set off an absolute firestorm at the very top of this massive institution with billions of dollars and thousands of staff, which was trembling at the thought of med people meditating as a result of one of its grants. So um, it became very clear um, in the sort of my ninth year in the job mm. that this was definitely this had to be the final year and that this was no longer a home for me um, and I walked out you know on, the, on my last day with a big smile on my face and, and it breathed easy and I left the doors for the same time and I'm sure they said the same thing <laughs> thank, good, thank goodness he's gone <laughs> so let me so you know part of this uh, part of telling these stories is 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 the nuts and bolts behind these moments when people change their lives so so you're the director at the Ford Foundation is one of the the probably the most well-regarded uh, right. foundations in in, in the, the United world. States in yeah. the world and uh, I'm sure a comfortable uh, livelihood so how making that transition from walking away from that into the next period did you have the next thing lined up? How did you make the decisions about leaving that sort of security status that was looked up on? How did, how did that go? Well, I, had, I did have a plan in my mind mm -hmm. because we'd started to renovate an old house upstate while I was still at Ford and, and thought wouldn't it be a great idea to go and live there full time and have a different kind of life. So that was already there in the plan and I sort of had a business plan for myself if you want to think of it that way mm. that I was going to go back to writing and maybe speaking and make my own living like that but, you, but somewhat ironically um, the week after I left the most secure job I will ever have in my life the stock market crashed you remember this was yep. um, September, August, September 2008 yep. and my business plan went out of the window because no one was interested in paying anything to someone to speak about philanthropic capitalism or to write an article or, or, and pay them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, my wife and I actually looked at each other and sort of gulped and said, oh, I, <laughs> what do we do now, you know? 
So it was a bit scary, you know, but I think in those moments you, the fear factor almost helps you to be bold mm -hmm. because you have to grasp those opportunities in front of you and say, well, okay, you know, this is where we are now. Things have changed a bit. Uh, we might as well get going, roll our sleeves up, you know. Um, and in our case, that meant finishing the house as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. selling the place that we had in the city to finance that, mm -hmm. and then figuring out very quickly, you know, some sort of survival plan of what we were going to do. We weren't moving back to the city, so that removed every conceivable job mm -hmm. that I could think of. Um, so what was I going to do? Was there a way I could support the kind of work that was really I was passionate about? which is still this integration of, of personal and political action in a way which um, maybe created a platform or a forum or a vehicle of some kind to, to scale that work up. And so I said, well, why don't I try and create a web space? That's all I thought of it at the time. And so I worked with a group called Open Democracy Net, which I'd worked with before. We launched in um, July of 2013 not quite knowing what to expect, but the way I sort of advertised the site was a place where people could come and tell and share their stories of personal and political change in whatever way they wanted to. And we had a slow start, you know, because we were just getting going. Mm -hmm. But after the first nine months or so, I would say, we seemed to hit a groove. The great thing about it is I can run this, you know, from the house yeah. um, as part of a constellation of activities that I'm involved in but I feel I'm creating something that's of, of some value to other people but I'm not doing it you know as a, as a full-time thing mm -hmm. I'm not doing it at the cost of the other things that I want to do mm -hmm. and so I found my own personal groove uh, you might say what are the ways that you know your life has changed and the benefits have been to the changes that you've made what are some of the things that strike you well, I think one big thing is I've become a more rounded person. Um, I recently wrote something on, on the many-sided life, which is an old concept from alternative education. It basically means that you have to be involved with your hands, you know, in doing manual labour. I mean, your head in the world of ideas and your heart, meaning the world of spirit and so on, um, uh, uh, to become the kind of person that you can be in to develop every facet of yourself which is sort of the opposite of what I, what I was doing for 30 years as a manager. You know, if you'd have told me then, I would have been using chainsaws and log splitters and goodness knows what in a barn, you know, to make ourselves self-sufficient in wood for the, for the fire. I called you absolutely crazy. Um, but I love it. So, I, you know, I found a love for manual things and machines um, and getting my hands in the dirt, you know, and um, using what's on the property to help us live sustainably, which has been a, a real talking of joy, a real source of joy, as well as developing my concrete practical skills. I mean, still the thought of using chainsaws terrifies me, you know. <laughs> Here I am, the city boy, you know, um, putting, putting his flannel shirt on and go, going out into the forest. But you find joy me. from it. You yeah, find joy from oh, it. I love it. Yeah. My wife says to me, you know, that the expression on my face... <laughs> when I'm using one of these machines is pure and adulterated joy I'm like a 10 year old boy <laughs> yeah. you know? um, yeah. and so she loves it as well you yeah. know, it's a different side of it. Yeah. so that's a big change yeah. you know, is moving in that direction of a many sided life mm. 
this idea of discovering physical work and, and manual work and you know that is a that's been a part of what I've found farming uh, right. of course that and it's made me think that you know for for a lot of people a lot of Americans a lot they do just physical work for the life and maybe they don't have as much opportunity to do more of the mental intellectual work and then for some of us we do mainly intellectual mm-hmm. work but all of us you know 200 years ago mostly live lives of Right. Of, of of manual, you know, of, of interacting and being creative and working with the earth. So it's interesting that that is a part of your story. You know? Yeah, and I think also it's very important to remember, I, I try and remember this myself all the time, that we're very privileged. I'm very privileged to be able to live this life, partly because I've been able to do it at the end of a longish career of, of material success. So, that so um, you know, what we should be aiming for, thinking through, making happen, is making it available to everyone, right? And to guarantee basic living standards at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that it's not, you know, so much of a risk, you know, it's it's the natural thing to do. We we ease that transition. But that means creating new institutions, new kinds of work, maybe universal basic income as part of it, mm-hmm. you know. But there's a whole set of questions we have to think through to make the many sided life available. Um, not just to people of privilege, but as a normal way of doing things and and that's that's a revolution really in the way we think about work at the moment you know it would be almost impossible to do i would say for 99 percent of people and and that can't be right you know this point you make about uh how if you were redesigning society around Mm -hmm. giving every person the opportunity to live a many-sided life what what would that society look like that doesn't make it a a privileged thing to do, but mm-hmm. makes it a thing that people could choose to do if they wanted to live an all you know a, a a many-sided life or an alternative life to the one we're given. But that's a big question. It is, you know. But you yeah. know, you can see you can see little chinks of light in the cooperative movement, for example, or in alternative education and pedagogy, mm-hmm. which doesn't say you have to go to college to get an education. Mm-hmm. It brings education into the world of work, you know. Or, or it redistributes work in radically different ways, or it changes patterns of ownership to make this kind of life possible. Um, so we, you know, we sort of know where we could go, and we have some concrete examples of people already doing it, but they are, you know, they're obviously not mainstreamed, um, and, and nearly all of our mainstream structures and systems and institutions are pointing in the opposite direction constantly siloed segmented you know well you're this and you're that you know and the whole the whole spiritual world is completely absent from both of them Mm -hmm. so we know you know where we want to go we have some inklings and i think um what's missing is some larger scale efforts to grow these alternatives you know and to make them more systematic and how on earth you start that you know that's a mind-blowingly difficult problem. Well, that's... So next stop now, I mean, part of your story and part of these stories, I think, is supposed to, you know, show people the practicality of trying to live it. Yeah. But like you just said, uh, hopefully people don't believe that they're going to be told how to do it. Right. Because there's all these different stories and anybody who chooses to do it will find, as you said, that it, it, you know, you do make the road by walking and that all of the, you know, when someone changes their life to bend towards their values, it will create a unique life and you can't predict that. And, and it's important 
both to hear stories to be inspired but know that if you take your own steps it'll probably lead to a completely different land in some regards yeah and that, that you know it sounds easy to do but it's not easy you know and it's quite brave in some ways because again it's pushing against all the conventions mm -hmm. of the way we currently do things and fund things and operate things and manage things and you you know so part of this story is going to be alternative funding mechanisms and capacity building mechanisms and training programs and magazines you know and political parties and all the institutions you do need institutions right to, to i think to change things but they're going to be different institutions that go organically from this process so we don't know what they'll look like or who will run them but as you say it, it starts with people who say i'm happy with that you know i'm happy to take these risks and let things go and be happy that people find their own way and therefore the more we can encourage people and us, you know, starting with ourselves obviously to be these kinds of people the more motive force we can add to the movement mm -hmm. as it develops mm -hmm. recognizing that we we may not be um, securing leadership positions in, in whatever happens you know that's absolutely fine mm -hmm. but in the present day of thinking that's it's anathema to, you know, everything is about competition mm -hmm. and individualization, mm -hmm. you know, and saying, well, what's in it for me? And recognition, and individual recognition, recognition yeah, yeah. You know, and, yeah. And so my experience, you know, just my experience is that I'm a, I can only begin to start being that kind of person if I develop myself at a much deeper level, because that's what releases me, you know, from those desires. And I'm, I've only just started the journey, you know, we I have to be honest about it. You know, I still Google my own name, you know, to see who's quoted me <laughs> yeah. last week. It's pathetic, really. You know. <laughs> like, you know, a school kid, you know. <laughs> well, but it's so true. I mean, the, I mean, well, you have a social media, I mean, you have yeah. a dominant way that people spend their time, which is on their phones and social media is really all of us being so interested in seeing who's talking, who's right. talked to us, who's looked at us, who liked yeah. something we said. And so it does seem like a formidable barrier to get beyond yourself. But we're laughing, you know, which is a good sign. You know, we're laughing about it because then you realize how ridiculous it is, you know. <laughs> that also helps to release you. I guess that's true. And so, that's... Mike, no, come on. You're 60, almost 62 years old. It's time to stop Googling yourself. You know, <laughs> or worrying about how many likes you have or I followers guess, on Twitter. I know? guess that's true. I guess we have to let ourselves go in terms of holding, you know, and, and this is me personally as well, taking myself out of the center of my own thinking. Mm -hmm. And that Absolutely. is a process that takes a, a, a long time to get to that, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. You know. yeah, and be happy with what others are accomplishing and mm -hmm. achieving. And mm -hmm. if you can be part of that, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I go right back to my early days with Oxfam in Zambia where I had a spiritual experience in a village, it was incredibly powerful for me, where I suddenly realized that no one needed my help. I was walking through this village and, and people around me were like shimmering. They were washing babies, they were farming, they were trading, they were sitting on outside the hut, you know, whatever, talking. And I suddenly realized, you know, here is a community of wonderful, autonomous, you know, successful, self-reliant people who may occasionally need some assistance but by and large you know we're, we're 
were forging their own vision of the world that they wanted, and they didn't need Oxfam with all its, you know, paraphernalia, and Oxfam didn't need them. The joy that you feel at someone else's success is one of the real measures of this work, I think. If you really feel that, and it's authentic, then you're on the right path. That was Michael Edwards, an independent writer and activist based in upstate New York and the editor of Transformation at OpenDemocracy.net. Music from this episode is by Poddington Bear. This episode was produced by Isabel Angel with editorial help from Jocelyn Apicello. Next Stop Now is a production of the Ecological Citizens Project, which grows citizen-led campaigns to build a more just, healthy, democratic, and sustainable way of life. Jocelyn and I are the co-founders of the ECP. You can learn more about our mission at ecologicalcitizens.org. Sometimes you just need a little inspiration to take that leap in your life. We hope you'll find that in these stories. The next stop is now. <laughs>